Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 6. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles with me, feel free to do so. I'll start in verse 25 and read all the way through verse 40. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Well, it is good to be back with you again this morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Trust that you have uh, enjoyed the extended weekend. You know, we've gone through just a really busy holiday season with both Christmas and New Year's. And um, if your family is anything like mine, you have probably spent enough time traveling, maybe to go visit family, or perhaps in our case, you've actually had family that have come to visit you. Um, When I think about this time of the year, there's nothing that tells and communicates family to me more than the family dinner. And I'm not just talking about a a normal, everyday gathering around the table, but, you know, that nice family dinner, you know, the kind where you go and you're invited or or maybe you host in your home. So I want to invite you today to join me at a family dinner. You know, the kind when, when you walk into the home and you, you have this elaborately set out table, right? And you've got the nice tablecloth already laid out and, and the china plates and the silverware, they're all shined and sparkly and you've got the goblets and the, the decorations, the candles are lit. And you've got the napkins that are all kind of folded and, and ironed out or, or maybe they're in one of those, you know, duck swan origami shaped sorts of things, you know? And then, you know, if you touch them, like, it's just going to fall apart and it's just going to be embarrassing, right? But you all gather around the table and as someone comes and they, they ask for the Lord's blessing on the mealtime, the food comes, right? The food. I mean, here comes the mashed potatoes, right? And if you're lucky, if you're fortunate, 
you know, it's the kind that has like the cheese and the sour cream all blended together. You know, that's like the double blessing mashed potato dish, right? So you got that coming around, just a little extra helping on there. And then you got, uh, you got the platter of meat. I mean, come on, that's like the largest thing at the whole table, right? I mean, you know, you pass that around, you're taking some off, putting it on your plate. Maybe you've got some, um, I don't know, you got the cranberry sauce perhaps, and, and maybe you got the gravy or some scalped corn, and oh my goodness, how about that green bean casserole? I mean, what is it with those French fried onion things that just make that dish unstoppable, you know? I mean, it's incredible. I need to tell you that for the longest time, a seat at this table was nothing more than a veiled reality to me. It was like, it was like a shadow, you know, almost kind of like a, a vapor in the midst. Because as a kid, my spot was not there. My spot was over here at the kitty table. Come on now, who's with me on this, right? It's that kitty table that's nothing more than like that square, wobbly, rusty, rickety cart table. Right? I mean, you sit on it and all of a sudden, you know, you hit, you accidentally bump it and everything just shakes and rattles like it's an earthquake. Come on now, you're with me, right? I mean, you got all the grandkids around there and the nieces and the nephews and the cousins, you know, and they're all fighting, right? And we didn't see any of that China stuff over from the main table. Now, we, we had the finest Tupperware this side of the Mississippi. I mean, come on. You know, you had the little sippy cup with the lid on it and those sectional Tupperware plate things. You know, we didn't have all these little nice napkins, you know, in the origami shapes. We had the single-ply white napkins, you know. And you would have thought they were sandpaper by how they felt, you know, and you're wiping your hands or scrubbing your face, you know. I mean, man, I don't have any issues. I'm, I've worked through all my stuff when I was a kid, you know. Trust me on that one. But I will say that I may have on occasion, you know, as a father of three, um, allowed my kids to, shall we say, the privilege of sitting at that table, right? I mean, I figure it's only my right as a father to bestow upon them that blessing of sitting at that little rickety table. But there's one thing that I've always enjoyed whenever we get together to meet to eat at the table. And that is the fresh bread. You know, there's something about the smell of fresh bread that just makes the meal, right? I mean, you walk into the house. I mean, you can smell it, can't you? You 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 have have this memory going through your mind right now, and it just hits you. And it is that smell of fresh baked bread. You know, it comes out of the oven and it gets served onto the, in the basket or on a plate and, you know, you cut, start to cut it and the steam starts rising out of the bread and all those little particles, they just like they're dancing for joy, you know? And you put it on your plate and, man, that butter from the butter dish, you just can't wait to jump onto that piece of bread and just kind of smooth itself all out and for you to enjoy it. And there's nothing like a meal without having the bread. So today, I want to invite you to come and sit at the table and have some bread. Not just the physical bread that will feed and nourish our bodies, but the spiritual bread that Jesus offers us. I know it's not maybe the typical bread that you would have at a holiday dinner, but I do believe it is the kind of bread that we're all longing for. Because I would venture to guess that every one of us that came here today came longing for something, or hungry for something. What is that for you? 
Maybe you're here and you're longing for a loving and a healthy relationship. Maybe you've hit a roadblock with your spouse and you're not sure what direction it's going to take. Or maybe you are going through a difficult time with one of your kids and your desire to have that relationship restored. Or maybe as you think back on this past year, you realize that, man, I, I'd really love to have a, a healthy, vibrant relationship with the Lord. You realize that maybe your time with Him has been a little dry, been stagnant, like you've been walking through a desert. And so as the new year is coming around, you're like, man, I really want to grow in that. I want to have a, a healthy, loving relationship with God. I want to invite you to come and sit at this table. Or maybe you're struggling financially right now, and you're just you're aching, you're longing for some relief. You're desperate. And maybe if you can't get that, you just want to have a break from the stress and the anxiety and the worry that that brings upon you. I want to encourage you to come and sit at this table too. Or perhaps you have an addiction or, or a behavior that you just can't break. And you're longing for hope. You're longing for some help. Whatever it is that you come longing for today, I want to encourage you to come and sit at this table. Because not only will you get physical bread that will nourish your body, but I believe you'll also find a spiritual bread that's going to nourish your soul and is going to give you life. So today I want to explore this metaphor that Jesus uses in John chapter 6 of Jesus being the bread of life. Grant read for us that passage earlier. And in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So today I'd like to ask the question, what kind of bread is Jesus talking about? Why is this so important? Well, let's start with understanding what type of bread Jesus is offering to us. Jesus makes this claim that he is the bread of life. But why bread? Why does Jesus use this metaphor to describe himself to these people. I mean, what is so dangerous about bread? Right? Of all the metaphors that Jesus could use to describe himself, he chooses bread? I mean, now, someone who loves bread, like myself, I, I get it. Right? I, I love it and, and, and it, and it's great to describe himself that way. But put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment and think, if you were him, you're going to choose a metaphor that would describe how mighty and awesome you are. I'm guessing that it would be something different than bread. What could it be? I am the mighty whirlwind of God. I'm going to pick you up like a tornado and show you my power. Might be one. Or I'm the blizzard of God. You're going to see my power. It's going to be unleashed through an avalanche. Right? Metaphors like that give us the stronger image of power and, and might and strength. Metaphors in our mind that would communicate more of a king or a messiah. And yet, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> what kind of power and fear does that communicate? I mean, nobody's going to run when they hear that. Oh no, the bread is coming! You know, it's not going to happen, right? Nobody says that. But there's something going on here in this passage. Of all the things that Jesus chooses 
He chooses bread. Maybe there's something that's meant more than just bread that we think about when we think of bread. Maybe Jesus is saying something in a language that the people that are hearing this for the first time would understand. And in fact, he is. He's actually using some strong imagery that's really deeply connected to the Jewish experience, which is quite different than the life and the experience that we have today. Because to the Jews, bread is more than just bread. Psalm 105, verses 37 through 40 say this, The Lord brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel ever stumbled. Egypt was glad when they were gone, for they feared them greatly. The Lord spread a cloud above them as a covering and gave them a great fire to light the darkness. They asked for meat, and he sent them quail. He satisfied their hunger with manna, bread from heaven. This is the story of Israel. This is the story of the Jews. It's the story of how God miraculously rescued them from the control and the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. In fact, you can see in Exodus 16, God describes this in more detail of how he provided for their needs during that time. But if you were a Jew that was living during these days, the most dominant and repeated story that you heard was this one. You'd hear the story about being in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and how your people escaped only by God's miraculous power into the desert. You'd hear the story how God provided for you, how he miraculously rescued you. You'd hear how God gave you the food that you needed every day in the form of bread from heaven. And you'd be reminded day after day of God's provision and his blessing upon you. That was your story. And so Jesus is using this story and the imagery of bread to connect with his listeners because this story defined who they were as a people. Because these people that were listening to Jesus, they got it. You know, they, they were nothing more than the common folk of the day. You know, it's likely there weren't a lot of high-power, high-corporate executives and white-collared fishermen that were hanging out with Jesus listening to him. They were just the ordinary wage-earning people. And a typical day for them would entail them waking up, going off to their job and getting their day wages, which would be nothing more than probably enough for them to provide for the food that they needed for their family. They would come home. They would go to bed. The next day they would wake up. And they would do it again. And then they would do it again. And they would do it again. There wasn't any work for the day. Then there wasn't any wages. But it also meant that there wasn't any food. So when Jesus is talking about bread, he's, it's in a completely different context than what you and I are accustomed to. For us, I mean, we can just go down to the local hy V and we can grab a couple loaves of bread and bring one home, put it on the counter, and maybe we throw the other one in the freezer for you know, a little bit later on. We, we save it and we pull it out when we need it. But for these people, they remember the desert. They remember that during that time they had nothing. They remember the miracle. It's the daily miracle of God providing their needs. God giving them the manna that they needed, that bread from heaven, and how it kept them alive. For them, the, the person that was eating the bread is admitting something. They're admitting, I do not rule. 
I have no control. I can't provide for my own life. God does. And by eating that bread, they're declaring that God is the one who provided it. I'm dependent on Him to meet my needs. And so now we're in this passage in John 6 where Jesus is taking this idea of the bread and He's putting it to a whole new level when He says that I am the bread of life. In essence, He's saying, I'm your provider. I'm I'm the one who gives you life. This life that I'm talking about is more than just this physical life of substance and allowing you to live and to breathe, but I'm actually the one who is able to give you a true life, the kind of life that's only possible when you come and understand that me and only me can meet the deepest spiritual needs that you have. Just as manna came down from heaven to meet their earthly needs, Jesus has now come down from heaven to meet their spiritual and eternal needs. And it makes me stop to think, how many times in our own lives do we try to elevate ourselves into thinking that we're the ones who are able to provide for our own life, to meet our own needs? We're the ones that are in control. We're the ones that set our own schedule. We're the ones who have our own agendas. We're the ones that we can get all of our needs met. Can I remind you of two words that Jesus speaks right before he declares himself as the bread of life? He says the words, I am. And if you remember, that's an exclusive statement that Jesus makes. Because whenever Jesus says, I am, we're reminded that we are not. We're not the bread of life. We are not the sole provider of our needs. We are not the one who controls our schedules. We are not the ones who sets the agenda. We are not the ones who are able to meet our deepest needs in a way that Jesus is describing in this passage. That's God's role. He's the provider and the sustainer of our physical and our spiritual life. And every day that we have is a gift from Him. Every day that we have is another opportunity for us to pause and to give glory and honor and thanks back to Him. When was the last time I did that? When was the last time that you did that? Let me encourage us not to take credit for any ability that we have to be able to provide for our needs. But let us instead be grateful for Christ, who's the true provider of our needs, the one who sustains and gives us life, the physical life, but also a spiritual, eternal life that we have with him. So let me ask and answer that second question. Why is this bread so important? One reason I think the bread of life is important is that it moves our focus from our stomachs to our souls. You know, when chapter 6 begins, you can look back there, you'll see that Jesus is performing a miracle of feeding the 5,000. And that's just the men. I don't know about you, but having 5,000 people over for a holiday dinner would be something else, right? I mean, the people had been there all day listening to Jesus And now they're hungry. So Jesus takes the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He blesses them. And immediately, you've man, you've got the world's largest picnic that breaks out right there on the side of the mountain. After these people all received their fill, Jesus became aware that their desire was to crown him as their king right then and there. So he pulled away. Why? Because he knew their heart and their motives. And John records in verse 15, 
He says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Their motives weren't good. Jesus knew that. It becomes clear later on as the people go on a massive search to try and find where Jesus went. And although their search for Jesus may have been valid, the reason why they were searching left something to be desired. They wanted to make him king because of what he was giving them, specifically food for their stomachs. Their focus was on their material needs and their desires. Verse 26 in John chapter 6, it says, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They wanted to know, hey, Jesus, how are you going to fill me today? You know, Jesus, we were here yesterday and we were hanging out on this mountainside with all of our friends and our buddies. And man, that was an incredible picnic that you made for us. I got so full. I've never had so much in my life. But hello, Jesus, guess what? I'm hungry again. It's a new day. My stomach's growling. What are you going to provide for me? In verse 26, Jesus is like, you're missing the point, you guys. You're missing the point. You're pursuing me not to know me, but to get your bellies full. Your focus is on your stomach, not on your soul. I've got to be the ultimate reason why you're pursuing me. Not to get something from me, because the things that, that are those things, they're not going to satisfy you. Only I will satisfy. I am the reason. I wonder, how many of us come to Jesus with that same mindset? And we come to Jesus not because of who He is, but because of what He's given to us. Because He's answered our prayer, He's blessed us in some unexpected way, we want Him to do it again. Hey, Jesus, man, you gave us this before. Can, can you do that one more time? You know, perhaps we're praying that we're waiting on the Lord for a new job, and, and He blesses us with a new job, and then... All of a sudden we realize that we stop spending as much time praying and reading the Word and being involved in a community here at Faith or serving. You know, we say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just so tired now. My job has taken so much out of me. I'm working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. There's, there's just so much to do. Or maybe when God blesses us with some much-needed finances that we've been praying for and we forgive to give back out of out of gratitude to the one who gave it to us. The point here is this. We become more focused on the possessions rather than the giver of the possessions and what he truly offers us. And Jesus is saying, man, you're going to get hungry again. <laughs> you're never going to get full on all this stuff, on all these possessions. You need to stop focusing on the possessions and focus on me and what I can truly provide to you. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, just to clarify, I believe God cares for us. Jesus wants to meet our, spirit, our physical needs, and he loves to hear from us on that. But I also believe that Jesus' greater desire in his heart for us is that we would see how he meets the deepest spiritual needs that we have in our lives in a way that only He can. And that is the need to be in a growing, vibrant, deepening relationship with God Himself. Let me just pause for a moment and think about this question. 
What kind of prayers have you been praying lately? What's the tone of your conversation with God been like? Is it a tone that focuses on our own desires, on our own wants, maybe our own agenda? Or are you able to rehearse over and over in your mind and with gratitude what Christ has done for you on a spiritual level? My hope is that we can ask God as we start this new year to refresh us with a a new awareness of who Christ is and how He has come to meet our deepest spiritual need and how He's restored us and He's brought us back into that right standing, that right relationship with God. Allow the bread of life to move from your stomachs to your soul. Well, why else is this bread so important? Second thing is this. The bread of life, I believe, moves us from a posture of achievement to a position of acceptance. You know, we all have this longing to be unconditionally loved, don't we? To be accepted. You know, at the very core of who we are, we have this desire for other people to love us unconditionally. But the reality is there's no one here on earth that can love you that way. Everyone's asking for performance. We need to achieve something in order to receive it. You know, for example, when I first met Jill, she didn't run up to me and say, I love you unconditionally. I realize that's probably hard for some of you to grasp that, so I'll just pause for a moment. But it's the truth. right? I had to do something for her to start loving me. And so... We had to build our relationship together. We went out on dates and we spent time together. We, we got to know each other. I had to show her who I was and how I cared for her. But you know what? There's only one person who says, you're messed up. I know that. Stop trying to impress me with what you can do because it's not going to work. My love for you is unconditional. It is not based on anything you can do for me or anything you have already done, but is solely based on who I am. And in fact, I love you so unconditionally that I'm going to come down to this earth and I'm going to be suffering and I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to ultimately die on the cross for you to reflect and show you my true love. That's Jesus. That is Jesus. He's the only one who can truly satisfy our need for unconditional love and acceptance. And that's what I think is so incredibly amazing about the gospel. So that our acceptance before God is not based on anything that we do for Him, but our acceptance on, to God is based solely on what God has already done for us. We move from a posture of seeking to achieve love from someone to a position of being accepted by someone. All because of what Christ did on the cross for us. But the crowds that were following Jesus, they didn't get this. <laughs> they, didn't, they were trying to figure out what they needed to do in order to earn that eternal life and God's favor. Instead of being grateful for what they were given, they wanted to know what the plans were so that they could get more. Verse 28 of John chapter 6, they say, What must we do to do the works that God requires? They wanted to receive that eternal life. See, they were caught up in the tradition of the day that believed that they needed to do something in order to earn that position of favor. But what they forgot was a very simple but yet profound word that Jesus tells them back in verse 27. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
all that's required to receive this food and that's going to bring eternal life is to make the choice to believe. Jesus says it again in verse 29. He says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. You might want to underline that in your Bible. The word believe is key. Right? This food that endures to eternal life, that the, the food that Jesus is talking about, it's a gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that we even deserve, but it's a gift. Think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And this, I believe, is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. In fact, the word religion is actually a Latin root word, which means to bind back. People create these religions to, in an attempt to bind themselves back to God through their good works and through their actions. But yet the crazy and the amazing thing about Christianity is that it's not about us binding ourselves back to God. It's, in essence, God is choosing to bind himself to us through the person of Jesus and the fact that he came on this earth and lived a sinless life and willingly went to the cross on our behalf to pay that punishment so that we could have that life. It's about the fact that our relationship with Christ, it's not based on our achievement, but it's based on our position. It's the position that we have because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. His death and His resurrection gives us the ability to stand before God holy and blameless. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. But Jesus makes it clear that we need to choose to believe this. We need to choose to come and sit at the table and receive that bread of life that he's offering to us. And if you're here and you haven't done that, um, to choose that gift and choose to put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you're already here and you've chosen that, I want to invite you to take a few minutes to reflect and to think through, are there any areas of your life that you need to confess and surrender to Him as you come to the table today? Can you pause and just reflect on the power and the impact and how receiving that bread of life and choosing to believe that has changed you? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together as a church family. You know, that time as believers when we gather and we remember that Jesus is the true bread of life and the only one who's able to fully satisfy all of our longings. We're going to celebrate that a little bit differently today. Um, Pastor Brian has already kind of mentioned to you um, that I want to encourage you today to physically come to the table. And so as a way of indicating your desire and your surrender and of receiving this gift of the bread of life that Jesus is offering. And of indicating your desire to do so. You know, here at Faith, we practice an open communion, which means that anyone who's made that personal commitment to Christ is welcome to take part in it. You don't need to be a member here at Faith to do that. You know, taking part in communion doesn't confer salvation. In fact, it's just a way for us to remember the role that Christ has in restoring us to God and meeting that deepest need that we have in our lives. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We have four tables around the back perimeter of the auditorium, and there's two more here in the front. And each one of these tables have been prepared with a loaf of bread and a tray of cups with juice, as well as our uh, wafers and crackers that we typically use. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and after I do that, Pastor Brian and the team is going to come up and um, play some music in the background for us. And as you feel led, I want to encourage you to come and um, approach one of these tables and to tear off a piece of bread or to take a cracker and a glass of juice and just pause and reflect and remember on the true bread of life and how he has met your needs. Maybe you want to come in by yourself. Maybe you want to come as a couple. Maybe you want to join in as a whole family as a time of remembrance and also celebration of what this bread of life has meant to you. Because whatever longings and needs that you came with today, they are fully met at the table of Jesus, the bread of life. And you're welcome to stay there as long as you need to. Reflect, to worship, to pray. And then you're welcome to return to your seat. There's going to be servers or elders at every one of these tables as well. And if you come and, man, you would just love to be able to pray with someone or, or to share some thoughts with them, um, that's what they're there for. They want to be a resource to you, support you, and encourage you. And if you haven't made that commitment to put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you to come and speak with one of these men. They would be happy to answer your questions and, and to lead you in that process and then to join you in taking communion. And if you're unable to come to a table this morning, that's okay. We want to encourage you. You can just raise your hand and one of our servers or uh, elders will come with the elements and they'll share them with you as well so you can join in with us. After everyone's had the opportunity to come to one of the tables and return to their seats, I'll close this in a word of prayer. But let me leave you with this. Jesus says, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's celebrate that today as a church family. Let me pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning as people who are in desperate search of life. People who need control and Quite honestly, we like control. We feel threatened by someone who wants to take that from us. Only, Lord, you don't take it from us. You invite us to the table and to surrender it to you. You invite us to receive and believe in the gift of life that you offer to us through your Son, Jesus. So, God, I pray that you would give us the courage through the power of your Holy Spirit to offer those parts of our lives that we still want to hang on to, the parts that we want to control, that we want to have for our own pleasure. God, bring each one of us to the point where we can say, you can have it, 
Father, I surrender that to you. We want life, the, the true life, that eternal life that we can only have from you. God, you offer us acceptance and we willingly exchange our life for yours because your life truly satisfies. Bless this time as we come to the table and offer to you our response and receive the life that you offer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.